This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, my name is Mike Molnar. I am managing partner at Glow. We are a full-service digital and social agency here in New York City. And what I love about content is no matter what it is, we all make it our own. And in doing so, we tap one or many emotions, which makes content one of the most powerful things that we see every day. From New York City. You're listening to Content Is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Hey, everybody. I'm Mark Rako. Right now, uh, Mike Villasenor is on honeymoon. Congratulations, Mike, on your recent nuptials. Natasha can't be with us today. Amber is addressing the impacts on the music industry from our coronavirus uh, reality today. And uh, Ritesh Gupta is abroad shooting some sort of very exciting film. So you're stuck with me, my friends. Mark <laughs> Rako uh, conducting this, what's going to think is going to be a great conversation. Uh, Mike Mulner, welcome to the show. We're so very happy you're here and thanks for making the trek over here on a fairly bright and beautiful uh, Wednesday morning. Thank you for having me. Let's start here, if, if we could. Uh, the name Glow. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're an interactive agency. We're going to unpack. Uh, I'm sure most of the people listening to this understand what an interactive agency is, but we're going to unpack what it means to Glow and, and how you may fit into that definition in your own way. Before we get there, I'm interested in the name Glow. Not, not so much its origin as what it may mean now connected to the mission of GLOW? That's a good question. I don't think when... I've been there for for about a minute, a long time. It would be a minute, um, about 18 years. So I would say (laughs) that, you know... I don't think when we... Is that GLOW years? Yes, exactly, exactly. I don't don't think the name was like the crux of, of what we were going for when the two founders began the company. It was like, well, we need this name to emit who we are. I think they kind of landed on a name, but they had been doing a lot of work back in the, you know, 98, 99 world of kind of taking on a lot of this digital work from a lot of different people. There weren't a lot of resources to be able to do these things. There weren't a lot of people who understood how to build in this way for brands. So these two guys, um, Pete and Ted, who co-founded the company, struck out and started this, and it kind of became the name Glow. And, you know, we've toyed with a lot of log lines under Glow for years and what that means, you know, uh, creators of reactive media. There's a number of different things that we've come up with. But I think, you know, as we've evolved and where we began as an interactive focused agency who really has evolved through the years, like I was saying, on the crest of everything that was new – About 10 years ago, we also branched out and we developed an entire social division, which really gave us a full swing power of a full service agency at that moment. And now, in a way, the name has kind of backed itself into creating that kind of halo effect around the brands that we work for. So it's kind of interesting how, 
you know, where we began not giving as much thought as many people might to the name of their company, we kind of rounded it back out where the name actually really kind of takes on a meaning to what we do as marketers. No, that makes sense. Thank you for that answer. Uh, Let's unpack what I teased a little bit, which was, you know, what is an interactive agency? Let's take it from this direction, if this is fair. What generally is an interactive agency? And then how might Glow be a special version of that? I think an interactive agency typically focuses on the execution and the tactic and building things and making things. And that's exactly who we were when we began. We were makers. We were tinkerers. We were kind of, we termed ourselves creative technologists where we had a lot of the creative behind us. We also had a lot of want to dive in and understand how things work and deconstruct them and even as far back as working with different vendors in the rich media world, taking their different products and combining them together to make one super product that we would advertise with for a client. And I think, you know, that's really to me what I think of when I think of an interactive agency. It's just a, a constant curiosity for unpacking the how and then kind of marrying it to the what and the why. That's where I think Glow has become a real powerhouse in this is because we've evolved from being that core interactive agency to an agency that now has so many layers to it that we've almost backed ourselves in to kind of the new agency model. We didn't start as this big behemoth with lots of red tape and bureaucracy that we had to strip down. We started kind of ground up with the nuts and the bolts of how to do these things and how to push forward and innovate. And we've never, luckily, as a company, lost that as kind of a centerpiece to our ethos. So as we add live event services for social and amplification, and as we add an entire social division with strategy through fan engagement and all the content in between, we still maintain the ability to innovate, execute, develop on these concepts that we have, rather than just pitch them and then go find somebody to build these things. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of why you have experiences coming out of glow that have the synergy to them that they do. We kind of, we like to play on all sides. We don't just build it because we can build it. We want to build it because there's a purpose, there's a goal, there's a mission, there's a connection to be made. So everything we're doing, we're doing kind of through that filter um, versus just what we were when we began, which was work for hire, come in, we want to solve this problem, pitch us some ideas, and then we build stuff. It's it's far more complex than that today. And I think clients are looking for things that have more touch points to them than just somebody who can come in and build something. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we have innovated and built something and delivered it to a client only for it to fall flat because the client doesn't understand how to truly market it. Yeah. So to have that other side of the train on Glow to come through and say, here's this great thing we can build for you. And here's a plan with a cadence and a rollout on how we're going to market this to reach our audience. And that's kind of a one-two punch that traditional interactive agencies don't have and why Glow has kind of moved from Glow Interactive into Glow over the years. Mm. Are you familiar with the concept of fanocracy? Uh, there's a recent book out from David Meerman Scott that is about the idea of fans versus followers for a business and that, that really it's fans that you, you need to develop, um, which has a lot to do with, uh, forgive the word, but authenticity and 
creating something in common with your, you know, so for example, let's say you're Hawaiian Tropic and what you want to do is you want to really embed yourself in the surfer community and show you are a surfer. You are a surfer peer and you, you do things for surfers. You create surfer content, blah, blah, blah. You end up having fans of the things that you're doing and that that's very different than having social media followers or whatever. And obviously it has to do with both engagement and, and you're a part of a real community and that, that that's where brands need to be. So my question is, is how does this philosophy, uh, right or wrong, can connect to really the way that you're, how you're, you're guiding your, your clients to have meaningful action on the rollouts that you have. So you can roll them out and market it. So you've got that plan. The question is, is how are you thinking about it? Say, say philosophically, sure. <laughs> that 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 allows it to have its greatest chance of success with that fan versus follower in mind. Well, to touch on the fanocracy kind of theory, yeah. um, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree more. We used to say this a lot years back to our clients, you know, because a lot of clients were about building up volume on their page. Like to your point, they wanted followers, they wanted numbers, they wanted you know, and that's really uh, to their credit, it's what they were probably beholden to up the ladder on their side, building up the amount of people on the page. The problem is that you don't always have the most engaged audience sometimes. And that's a matter of strategy and content, period. Um, you know, you can launch a page and people might like it because it was a, something that they were familiar with. We can launch a mash page today. It could get 10 million people. Unless we're posting content on it, nobody's going to do anything on that page. Mash. Those people don't matter. Mash. What a, what a reference. I know. That was, it's on the mind. Are you teasing? Are you teasing something? You're teasing your snack. That's I'm teasing out, my so snack we'll get slightly. get to that in a minute. But, uh, but you know, I, I, point being, you can launch something that's old as new again in social and garner a whole bunch of people yeah. automatically because they're familiar with it. But they don't really mean much to that transaction yeah. unless you're delivering something. You say authenticity. It's got to have relevancy. Right. It has to have some sort of, you know, some sort of thing that I get out of it. So we used to tell clients all the time, you know, I would rather have uh, you know, 100,000 super engaged people yep. on my pages than 2 million followers that you just know. follow. You know, someone recently likened it to having a party and you have 100 people at your house, but it's hot and it's you're, you're not doing any, you don't have any plan and you just have some light hors d'oeuvres out, but you have 100 people. It seems like it should be a successful party, but everyone says, I'm never going there again. As opposed to your eight closest friends who are all Buffalo Bills fans and you have just enough food for them, but it's great food and it ends up being the liveliest, most fun party you've ever been to, which is more successful. Obviously, I would argue the Bills party was in this case. Well, it depends if the Bills were playing that I, I knew I was getting myself <laughs> in a hole there. I'm a Rochester boy, so that I went to the Bills automatically Fair despite just my successes. No, I think that's a great – that is a great analogy and it's totally true. I mean, you know, it is – People like things in general, but they respond to the content. They respond to the things that we deliver to them that fall underneath the umbrella of the things that they like. Right. That response can be a range of things. It could be anger. It could be laughter. It could be crying. I mean, that's the emotion side of content, which I love so much about. But you know, you've got to continue feeding people these breadcrumbs to lead them where you want to lead them. And that's the big challenge because again, you know, and that's part of the content piece, like everybody perceives these things very differently. 
you know. So uh, for us, you need multiple veins of tactics to go out sometimes. I mean, a lot of my clients happen to be entertainment clients. Okay. Like, so like what kind of entertainment? We clients? work with, we work with everybody on the, we, we're a preferred agency with Warner media. Okay. So we work with the portfolio of companies under the Warner media portfolio. We uh -huh. work with Hulu. We work uh -huh. with, um, uh, IFC and AMC networks. Okay. You know, we have a lot of network partners. We have some, uh, partners across CBG. We have a pharma side. We have, so we have a range of different things. All right. Let's, let's kind of get back to what glow does. And the thing that caught my attention, whether or not it's the central point that you're out there trying to proselytize is, was the aspect of AR yes. uh, in particular and some VR as well. Uh, I believe, if I if I recall correctly, but mostly it's it's on the AR side um, that caught my attention, mm -hmm. and so uh, not because we haven't heard of AR, but because um, I'm not used to seeing creative agencies, if you will, naming this as a as a tentpole thing. Uh, or at least to me, it, it was it was prominently mentioned enough to say we want people to know this is something to be thinking about how does that change the way that you think about content having something like ar in your arsenal you know how much of it is we're creating content we think we can add an ar component in and that will amplify it in this way and engage people in this way versus saying Let's do something different. We're going to use AR. Let's build content that AR can be used in or can be, you know, that can justify the use of AR because that excites the client to do something different and now we're trying to move the needle. Well, let's start with, I think AR has been around a while. It's no new thing. Of course. You know, it's been around quite some time. I have not been very bullish on AR until mm -hmm. this past summer. Okay. Um, I think Glow in general has not been very bullish on AR until this past summer. And really, it all comes down to we never had the scale. We come from a world, in sure. as a digital first agency, we come from a world of scale. Right. So not to say we don't like to try things in certain pockets, but you know, clients want that scale. They want that reach. So we have been kind of we played and dabbled with AR. We had pitched some RFPs, you know, we have again, there are, we have great yeah. resources to be able to build these things out. But the fact that AR is always so embedded in apps for so long had become such a barrier for agencies and for clients that they had to spend a lot of money to build an application. Mm -hmm. Then they had to spend a lot of money to market that application just so they can then market to you with this cool new thing. Yeah. And <laughs> that entire log jam was a mess. Sure. Financially, structurally, you know, from a workflow perspective, it was just a mess. Well, it also delays when you can actually begin executing. You can't start marketing now. I mean, you can, I guess, but I'm saying it takes a while to build that. Yeah. And, and great point. And let's be honest, like, Length of time and deadlines for agencies that clients come with are not the longest things in the world. Maybe unless you're a pharma kind of. Well, they got to move this quarter's numbers or right. whatever it is. Yeah. So things move quick in the digital world typically. So you don't get those kind of lead times that you'd have. And if you did, that was a huge undertaking. You could imagine the dollars against it. So this summer, you know, all the social platforms have that capability in platform to project AR. What changed for us was when iOS and AR went native to the iOS, to iOS. Right, right. Uh, once AR went native to iOS, it became a real opportunity because the iOS audience is 
typically more savvy when it comes to engaging with AR experiences. They've been playing with it slightly longer. Um, you know, uh, obviously kids have been playing on Snap for years and Snap has made a ton of money. I mean, they are the de facto innovator in the space. They are a camera company and their idea is to let people snap these photos with these elements throughout them. And they have the numbers to prove it based on what they report. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, still an app, even though we wouldn't have to build for that app. We're still in an app and we're reaching just that audience. As soon as web AR went native to iOS and it was native to Android devices, we instantly saw that there was an opportunity for scale. And the opportunity for scale was what got us excited. So we didn't look at it just as content. This might this be interesting, I think, to you. We looked at it as industry and how can an industry benefit from this? So the first thing we really did with AR was we built a mobile ad product for augmented reality because we had for years been thinking the mobile model right now is so locked into real estate. All you hear about is real estate and the challenges of mobile is real estate. And every place you go, they tell you how they can shove a different video down your throat on your phone. It's six seconds. It's four seconds. It's a pre-roll. And it's all about video, video, video. It's essentially a TV on your phone. When your phone is so much more capable of providing an immersive, in-depth, memorable experience that we as marketers are on the eternal hunt for, Yet we're not really tapping into that, not at scale yet. And we're starting to see little pockets of it. And by the way, pretty much literally everyone holds this portal in their hand. All day. I mean, (laughs) everyone. So we came at it and we had for years been saying, you know, I've always been, you know, saying like there's so much reach to mobile advertising, yet nobody's really engaging with mobile advertising. How can we get people to engage with mobile advertising like they do with social on their mobile devices? No question. So we started playing with most mobile advertising, excuse me, is really just TV commercials on your phone. Exactly. And that's the most frustrating thing that, you know, the phone is so capable of providing so much more to a brand and to a message than just your 15 second spot. And let's be honest, I call bullshit on the industry with video completion rates. It doesn't mean anything. So what I don't call bullshit on is this person engaged with this for this long, did this many things while they were engaging with it, you know, spent this much time doing, I mean, these are real metrics that we can generate actionable strategies against. So We came at it and we said, okay, AR now is native to phones. We are, we have a long history of building display media and mobile media. And we got out of it for years because there was no creativity left in it. It was video on phones. All of a sudden we developed a product that allowed us to take a 3D element out of a unit and open it up either native to our camera or directly into Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat into a stories view where you can instantly share that experience right there. So we saw the value of the product that we began building as kind of this earned amplification opportunity off of already paid media that they've got to increase ROI. So let's say you buy 10 million impressions against this ad unit that's going to run across X number of sites, but people then start sharing things from these units, you get this earned hit on top of everything. And if they're sharing it directly into their social platforms, 
you see this massive amplification start to feed itself with impressions. And every time somebody sees it, yep. and you see, might see a Facebook post that says, Mike just did this cool thing from yep. brand X, you should too. You're going to go do it, and then you're going to share it. And it feeds this virality. We ran a campaign for Panera specifically. We were the platform partner to the agency that works with them. We built this product in-house, and we serve this out of Glow. So we served this through us and we developed the ad product and the numbers were incredible. I think in the first week alone, we had over a 1% engagement rate with our units, but for iOS users, it was five and a half percent. So, you know, then what we were seeing was this massive amplification when we took it and anybody would take that and they would share it. You're looking at, you know, 40 to 50,000 people sharing these things, which just drives up hundreds of thousands of more impressions against this right. that you actually didn't pay for. It was part of your creative. Yeah. Now, I don't say change your advertising model and use all AR. I say this has got to be a new vein to tap in order to get to reach your audience in new and different ways and ways that the savvier Gen Zs who've grown up with this technology are expecting from Good brands. So two things on what you're saying. One, one is I completely understand what you're saying. I, I feel the same way about podcasting. I feel that brands that don't – it's not a magic pill or bullet, silver bullet. But if it's not something that you're integrating into at least your business-to-business -business strategy or some aspect of your, your brand, you know, if you have the wherewithal to do it, it just needs to be a piece of the portfolio. Ten years from now or one year from now, Everybody's going to be doing it. So you can decide if I'm going to be on the train now or later. It just needs to be a piece. But I agree. And I think AR is the same way. You just, you should be, if you have the resources to undertake it, it's just foolish not to be thinking about the power. If you work with a good agency like Glow, they can really put their head around, you know, um, outside the box thinking about what you can do. The second thing that I thought of is I saw that – maybe you saw this uh, recently, an AR application, a guy built – that took the um, fried chicken store from Breaking Bad, Los uh, Pollo Hermanos, and you take the AR, you put your, your phone up, and it turns a Kentucky fried chicken into that, that store. Simple concept. I don't know how hard it was to build. Any fan of that show that – has the technical ability to execute doing this on their phone, which is most people, is probably going to try that. You know what I also think about? I think about, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I think about like um, uh, slot machine games on your phone, those that, that do that. The ads that come up for those are basically slot machine games. Mm -hmm. you're, you're gamifying and playing and they can they can measure how long it took for you to finally push that spin the reel button to get rid of the ad yep. or, or to see if you win something out of it. And it just feels like the same damn experience yep. to me, making it feel like you're, you're not enduring an advertisement. No, you're having but an experience. You are having an experience and enjoying the advertisement. That's why people love Super Bowl ads so much is because they're they're half the fun if not most of the fun, as opposed to something you endure to get to the fun. Back to the number that you're talking about people in phones and if they have a phone, they're going to do it. I mean, you're looking at roughly probably just under 3 billion devices yeah. that are capable of projecting web AR. That's an enormous reach today. An enormous reach. It also that means exists. that we're holding something, sorry to interrupt, but we're holding something in our phone, in our hand 
that we're simply just not utilizing. It's like owning a Porsche and never taking it above 25 miles an hour. You're just, it looks pretty to look at, but you're wasting the engine. Yes. Well, and that is kind of how advertising has been for the last 10 years on the mobile device. And almost since day one, as soon as we started putting together almost the same specs we saw on desktop for mobile, it got really frustrating as a marketer in this space for me. That's where Glow took a moment, sat back, looked at the landscape, started to develop out the company for more longevity across multiple areas of the marketing funnel. So that's where we opened up our social division and we really focused on building that up because honestly, there really wasn't much game creatively in this kind of in this space for media, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I think now we have this opportunity to return to that 2000 to 2007 world of engagement where we had people engaging in experiences. There was a novelty. They wanted to go deeper. We used to fight in ads that we would build. We used to fight with some of our clients, like a, with TV networks. So their website would get angry that people would be spending time in our media and rich media versus going to their site. Well, the reality is they didn't have to go to your site. We could deliver them videos and all these things in there. And then mobile kind of came and changed that dynamic because people kind of went to the desktop for work and mobile every other minute of the day which became the challenge for marketers. And the easy, lazy way out was jam a video in there, hang your hat on a video completion rate because 70 to 80% looks awesome in a report to a client versus a 0.04% click-through rate, mm -hmm. right? And that's where we've been for about 10 years. And, you know, but you've got, I mean, I see numbers out there all the time. So you got 60% of clients don't know what to do with their data. 60% of clients want to have better experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, all kinds of data out there that points to the fact that engagement and memorable experience is where we need to be. We have this moment now where it feels like 1999 again. There's no real rules in AR. It's kind of like the web back then. We could do great yeah. immersive things on the web. We could have great experiences. There was no real cap as opposed to the last 10 years where everybody wanted to be on a social platform where the creativity is about, you know, two feet high, you know, the ceiling is so low on what you can do on those platforms from an actual creative standpoint. Yeah. Somebody made a joke. They look like condominiums. It's like everything looks the same, just yeah. different art on the walls. So it's very, very bland, you know. Now we have this moment again yeah. where there aren't a lot of rules. There aren't a lot of regulations around what we can be doing. Our biggest challenge is really just making sure we deliver solid file size and seamless experiences based on people's connectivity, which is continuing to grow as 5G comes out, which will only enhance our opportunity to build more immersive AR experiences as branded um, yeah. activations. And all of that kind of combined, I mean, we're not just playing in the mobile space for mobile web, but we're playing also in the out-of-home space. We're turning out-of-home bus shelters, billboards, subway platforms, turning them into actual interactive pieces. If they have a QR code on them, your phone also has the native ability to read a QR code through your camera. So simply open up your camera, point it at that, one or two taps to open a browser, and all of a sudden you have a full experience where that print ad will come to life right in front of you and deliver an experience as well as the ability to sign up for a newsletter or go to my social site or, you know, um, any, we can put any kind of buttons or interactions in there that we want. We could put multiple videos in there and let you watch different videos and then report back which one people are watching. 
How are you thinking about personalizing those experiences? I'll give you an example just out of my head, an invention. You look at a movie poster. Movie poster comes to life through your AR sitting on a subway platform. The One of the characters on the movie poster kind of pops out of the movie poster, points at you, and although it, at this moment it would be much harder to – it's certainly – conceivably possible right now the execution of adding audio into that and personalized audio is more difficult although i think we can envision where that will become possible but let's say they point at you and and some sort of thought bubble comes up that says you know hey mike come see my movie because it knows who you are synthesizes that text and then pops out at you so i'm inventing this in my brain i don't know all of the mechanisms that will have to be activated to allow something like that to happen but the fact that i can conceive that i could see it happening yeah i think a lot of the things that we invent are because we conceive that they can happen and they see it as plausible and we just have to connect the dots and however long that takes to do that <laughs> because even the voice thing i just mentioned again I'm, I'm out of my depth here but you know think about the fact that we're able to you know with deep fakes and so forth we can deep fake voices you know we would be able to know what text is i know what the person's name is because it's in their phone that pulls that data up connects that to something that creates that uses ai to determine how you say that name then connects that to the deep faked version of that actor's voice and now that poster is speaking to you Mm -hmm. however long it takes for that processing to happen and heading in that direction is that is that the kind of interaction that we could be heading towards? Are there are elements of what you just said that we're there now that okay. you just haven't quite even seen yet because they're months old. Okay. But, you know, so a couple of things. So we today have the full capability to, with WebAR, open up a full volumetric video in 3D of a person standing there talking to you full audio. So I can create a volumetric video of you in full 3D with audio and what is I can what is a volumetric that. video? Volumetric video, I can make you I can turn you into basically a hologram. I okay. can shoot you in a studio with all these cameras around you. We can render you out in full 3D and that video. Is this the thing that's in a box basically? Uh, Microsoft has a studio for this right now. It's, um, I, I just saw a video of this where at a, at a at a conference and I, I want to yeah. see this the same thing. Where essentially it's almost in a it's almost in a box and there's like a, a glass front to it of sorts, and then it literally looks like there's a person standing in that box interacting with you and it's you know you move around and they they move as a person would in three D perspective to mm-hmm. you, and I guess if you were to tie an audio to that and sync it up, you you would have a pretty realistic experience. Think about the ability. Is for, this what you're talking about? Yeah, okay. that's yes, it's, More or less. It's, that, okay. it's pretty much that now. So think about the ability. For a brand, let's talk about politics for a second, right? Yeah. It's big, big time for politics. There's a lot of people trying to sway a lot of people a lot of different ways. Yep. Imagine you can, from your television, get a political ad that you pretty much tune out most of the time. But imagine this political ad was, I want you to know why you need to vote for me. I want you to know where I stand on these things. And what you do is you hold your phone up and they put a QR code on your TV. You hold your phone up to that and put your camera at it. And boom, next thing you know, you take Joe Biden or Donald Trump and you can take them right off the television and open them up in volumetric, volumetric holographic video in your living room where they can give you a three minute pitch on why they're the candidate for you, complete with motion graphics around them and everything 
right in your living room as if you were sitting there having coffee. That is today we can make that happen. I would not doubt the very small jump from that is to personalize that. It is. And the, the, the challenge with that is going to be privacy. In a world where the cookie is running away right. and in a world where people don't want to feel like they're tracked or whatever, if all of a sudden this random hologram knows your name, that could get a little funky on the privacy piece and people might freak out because people don't truly understand this yet. I'm realizing as I have these conversations and I bring these opportunities to brands today, many of them don't even know they have this capability on their phone yet, yeah. which is almost it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, AR today, kind of like you're saying with podcasts, it's a nice to have, not need to have. But if you really think about what's going on in AR, follow the money. You have the most forward and rich companies out there pouring so much money into this space right now. You have Apple. You have um, Google. You have Facebook, Instagram, Snap, Amazon. These guys are pouring a collective billions of dollars, both in creating platforms for people to build these experiences into their applications. They're also creating um, a ton of opportunity in the hiring side. And they're investing a ton of money trying to mine for the best talent in this space. Because if you think about it, we're in such a infantile world of AR. I mean, what started out had to be, you know, in a walled garden of an app. Now we have the web is allowing us to deliver these things. And ironically, we get to distribute these things via social now. Really, Snapchat with all the filters is really a type of AR, right? And obviously, um, Pokemon was a wonderful way, whether it was strategizes that or not, it was a wonderful way to get people used to interacting with AR without almost realizing they are. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the challenge. But if you if you see the groundswell of excitement around creating these more frictionless experiences right. for users, then – and you see the companies pouring the money in the space for it, and then you just look at the landscape and you see like, you know – phone penetration goes down slightly, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, your phone right now is the second, the app might've been the first kind of elementary element of AR. Your phone is going to be considered a very crude device at some point for projecting AR right now. It's the next best vessel to deliver experiences through your phone. But you know, you hear Apple, all this talk about Apple glasses coming out. Google tried it, didn't nail it. They're going to try it again. There's a number of private companies that raised millions to create glasses. This as an advertising medium is the future of advertising. It's going to be there as things continue to catch up. AR today is like the web in 99. I was thinking the same thing. Exactly right. Yeah. Just as the bubble burst and started to kind of yep. piece itself back together, AR is here at this moment, this inflection point where privacy and data, people are jumping off Facebook and they're all on Instagram and yeah, they're on Snapchat here. And what Snapchat reports, 160 million people a day on Snapchat are engaging with these face filters, you know, and branded elements and brands. Which is amazing because Snapchat's supposedly dead and you still got that. I mean, you know, (laughs) when you start to see, I mean, I have clients who don't want to run on Snapchat because they want the scale and the reach of Instagram. That's where their audience happens to be. And that's a very, that's an audience thing, you know, and where you're doing your buy. But I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways to deploy these. There's a lot of different reasons to do it. You can deploy AR from mobile advertising. You can deploy it directly from a social post. You can deploy it from a linear television. You can deploy it from out of home. And everything I just shared with you, the beauty of this is 
we're not creating any new ecosystem for this whatsoever. We're using existing ecosystems in place to build better, deeper, and more engaging experiences on top of them that will deliver better data. On a separate note, I, I wonder if we're ever going to get to the point where part of our theatrical movie experience is going to involve AR by integrating with our phone, where it's not just going to be sitting there and let the experience be delivered to us, but we're literally going to be interacting with the movie on the screen in the theater in a very active way and not just like a novelty way. So it's funny. Think about a TV show instead of a theater for a second. Sure. Because what we could do is we could extend a narrative into with a character into your living room during a show where you have a two-minute segment that only happens between you and this person in your living room. But if you do it, you're privy to some information in the show that other people oh, might not be privy to. Wow. So think about that ability to start sure. creating these extended storylines that get very, very personal. Even though everybody gets the same experience, it's still, again, content. It's how you perceive that content. And this moment brought to you by Coke. <laughs> Bingo. Right? So funny you should say that. We just did a campaign with Doctor Who on BBC America, right? Big show for BBC America. Yes. Um, big following, period, for Doctor Who. They came to us and they wanted to do something with AR. They also wanted to try and get a sponsor for it. So we developed out a concept where we actually, during the show, the show's premiere on New Year's Day, we ran a 30-second spot. We actually sold this concept through to Subaru. So it was a 30-second spot cut with show footage, we had a big call to action. We had a QR code on the screen that said, scan this, and the TARDIS is yeah. yours. And the whole thing was powered by Subaru. Yeah. So Subaru jumped in, and what you're seeing, instead of this show brought to you by, you now have this AR content brought to you by. Yeah. And then that content travels. What we saw, 41,000 people scanned that QR code yeah. in that 30, just one 30-second spot. Of the 41,000 people that scanned that spot, 25% of those people actually snapped the picture and another 25% actually shared that. And that was all in just one night. By the end of the campaign week that we had, or I think we were about eight or nine days into it, we had nearly a million impressions on this because anyone who would share it, people were not only sharing it to Instagram or to Facebook from that experience, they were then going into their camera roll, pulling it back out, posting it to Twitter. So what you saw was this massive amplification. Now again, that's a million impressions that they got spreading the TARDIS around, giving fans what they want, which is Doctor Who's TARDIS in their living room, that they didn't actually, that they delivered to a sponsor on top of this. So it was an incredible opportunity. Further, they had a, a, a deal with Fathom Cinema. We also then did an in-cinema execution where we put a huge QR code up on the screen while they were doing the previews of the films and we did basically put the TARDIS on the right hand side and used the cinema screen as a huge marker. So once you scan that QR code and then point it at that TARDIS, the TARDIS would extrude off the screen and let you play with this huge 3D TARDIS in the cinema at a 22% engagement rate. People want these experiences. People will engage. What they don't want is kind of, they don't want you just to throw things that serve you at them. They want you to throw things that will serve them yeah. at them. Wow. And this is an opportunity for brands to give people their assets, to let them wrap themselves in their message, wrap themselves in this brand message, have this experience with the brand in your own setting, share that experience. That whole transaction is called word of mouth today. Yeah. And we now capture it in social media. 
Uh, you made a reference to MASH earlier. Uh, and that had to do with your stack. Yeah. As you may know, Mike, on this show, we have a tradition with our guests. It's a wonderful way to break bread. It's a way to learn a little something about our, our guests as they often bring a snack in for us to share. Uh, since, since I'm the only host here today and you're the only guest, we get to have a party of two. And, uh, and you have brought in a jar, which is very unusual. We don't usually get a jar in here. Mm-hmm. And it has something to do with mash, and I can't wait to figure out <laughs> what is the relationship. I've been dying to know. All right. So I, my dad was Hungarian, um, so I'm half Hungarian, and he grew up in um, Toledo, Ohio, which ah. was a huge Hungarian population. Okay. Um, so down the street and around the corner from where my dad grew up was a uh, – a restaurant. It's called Tony Paco's. Oh. And Tony Paco's is, it's got like seven things on the menu. But anybody who's like a who's who in Hollywood has been there at some point. They And anybody who comes in who's a celebrity like signs a bun and then they put it up on the wall. It's like that kind of thing, right? But they have kind of the, the most heartburn inducing, <laughs> amazing menu ever of, you know, just like the, the chili dog oh, and, no. uh, and they have like the stuffed cabbage oh. and, you know, they have these. So I brought these in because we get these when we're up there too. They have great fried pickles. Now you can't fry these because of the sugar content and I'm the only let that actually gets oh. too floppy. So this is a jar of pickles. But this is a jar of pickles. It's called Tony Paco's Pickles and Peppers Sweet Hots. Oh God. So these are kind of like, if you ever have bread and butter, these are kind of like they're not that buttery taste, but they have this sweet tanginess to them, and a little bit of heat comes from it, too. So, so the, the mash connection. Oh, the oh, Klinger. Klinger was from Toledo. Klinger was from there Toledo, you go. Ohio. He was, Jamie Farr. Was he, was he um, uh, as well, Hungarian? As, no, he was. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure was, Klinger was Hungarian. I'm pretty sure he went to, he went to my dad's high school. Um, he was from. The actor did? or the, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was from Jamie Toledo. Um and he used to talk, he used to reference Tony Paco's and MASH all the time, yeah. saying we wish he was back there. I mean, we all remember him as like the cross-dressing lacquer yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from MASH, but that was him. So he always used to reference Tony Paco's. And as my dad went to West Point, so as a kid, okay. we grew up kind of like watching MASH all. It was the thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I've always, I still to this day usually order up, a, you know, a case of these just to have around every now and then. <laughs> so when I saw that... There was a snack that had to define you in here. I figured, well, this office is going to need some sweet hots, and they keep well. So, oh my gosh, how great of you! Some. All right, but well, what's we're going to dive. About these things, when you look at like the content, like how they, serving size is an ounce, which is instead of like it's not two pickles, it's not two slices, it's two chunks. Like it's just you know, it's just a funny. Am I supposed to take half a bite of a pickle and that's my serving, what or what? I don't know what you, <laughs> what you do, but they typically like us to refrigerate them before we eat them, but we don't have to because they've been cold all night. That's all right. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive in to uh, some Toledo based pickles and uh, see how they are and uh coming up you're going to hear a couple of things uh, from mike one is uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the the audience engagement aspect of the interactive aspect beyond ar uh, we spent a lot of time on ar but there's much more to glow and uh frankly we're going to talk about a topic of the times and how coronavirus is impacting businesses like glow and the clients that glow deals with uh, right after this Hi, I'm Mark Rako. Let's talk candidly for a moment. You have a company to run. 
you can't shake hands with your customers. Your employees now all work from home, and virtually every part of your business has changed since yesterday. How do you deal with the impact on your organization? Manage a rapidly changing supply chain. Respond to the needs of clients and employees in crisis, all with an eye on the bottom line. In the COVID-19 Business Playbook, top experts from a variety of relevant fields call out the crucial plays you need to succeed in the face of this unanticipated crisis. Mouth Media Network's Strategy Update Series is your go-to guide for moving forward, mitigating risk, and leading your business through to tomorrow in the face of whatever new normal arises. Strategy Update COVID-19 Business Playbook. Available wherever the best podcasts are found, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Holy Toledo. <laughs> Holy Toledo. I didn't think I was going to say that because it just seemed too obvious. That is, that's a, that's some pickle there, sir. That's, that, that's a spot. That's a spice of pickle. Wow, that's good. Wow. That's, what is the name of that again? Sweet Hots. Sweet, Tony Paco's Sweet Hots Pickles and Peppers. First of all, thank you for very much for that. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a great addition to a great conversation. Mike, um, we've just absolutely probably only bitten off a tiny chunk of the whole AR discussion. In fact, during our, our pause there, while we enjoyed our pickles and peppers, you showed me a couple of really amazing AR applications that were a little mind-blowing, to be honest with you, and it showed what's possible. I don't even think we've begun this conversation but let, let's talk about what else there's going on at Glow and the types of work that you do that's outside of the interactive. I know you call yourself an interactive agency, but that's part of what separates you from the pack. What else is going on, the work that you do, that really is a part of how the nature of content is transforming and how brands are looking differently at the way that they can market themselves and, and further their own branding? I think, you know, we've evolved to a place. I'm going to eat a pickle while you say yeah, this. Yeah, go for it. We've, uh, we've evolved to a place where I think um, the interactive name with Glow has become a division within mm. that works across the other disciplines, which would include, you know, we have strategy, we have design, we have art direction, we have creative, we have a lot of design technologists who like to tinker and play and do cool things. Uh, we have some back-end and front-end devs. So we have a really great team. Um, with a lot of capability across the board. They come to us from a lot of great different backgrounds. Uh, there's a lot of diversity in the thinking and in the people themselves. And I think a lot of that has kind of allowed us to, let's say, best two or three years have been exponential growth for Glow. We've been moving very quickly. We've been adding a lot of staff. We're uh, finding new office space. It's just, it's a constant. So as a midsize agency in Manhattan in this space, you know, it's important to kind of keep that talent happy and keep them gelling and keep them working well. And I think that's also another thing that I think Glow has done very well. We have a very good tenure among our staff and having the tenure uh, and having those people work together for so many years keeps a lot of these ideas flowing and moving. There's a great institutional collective knowledge there, too. I Absolutely. Imagine. I mean, and, and 
you know, again, I think to be able to service clients across innovation, display and digital media, social strategy, community management, tactical execution, content creation, video production, live event coverage. I think we've really grown an agency that is, again, I think the agency of today. It needs to be quick. It needs to be nimble. It needs to be cross-functional. We practice a lot of radical honesty in here. Radical honesty. Explain that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to hold you off on that. It's a feedback-driven environment. When you're not carrying your weight, you they let you know you're not carrying your weight, and we work to make sure that we get everybody better. Um, it's not an anger thing, and it's not a confrontational thing. It's uh, let's be the best company and the best marketers we can be. And it's really helped evolve a culture at Glow that is very self-sustaining. There's a lot of accountability, and there's there's a lot of drive, and there's a lot of Almost, I, we say this sometimes too, there's, there's almost, there's times where we feel like we care a lot more than the clients do about certain elements or strategies or tactics. And a lot of it's because it's core and it's in front of our face and on our radar and it's one element of what the client is dealing with, but that's just the way that we approach those things. Yeah. So, you know, knowing that we have all those different um, capabilities and each one of them has the opportunity to tap into the other to expand what we're doing, I think is what makes us a bit unique. You know, yeah. they say you can't be great at everything. And I don't think that we are great at everything, but everything we do, we're great at. Yeah, It's been able to, it's helped us grow. It's helped us ink a lot of retainer-based clients year over year, repeat relationships, clients leave one area, they go to another, they bring us with them. That's always a great thing to kind of feather in your cap as you're doing good work. And that feedback loop that I talked about, too, is not just something that Glow does internally. I mean, Glow's very communicative with all of our clients. We want to know what they think about us all the time. We're not afraid to hear when they're angry or upset, and we're always coming to them with solutions. But in order to do that, we always have to know what they think. So that's a cultural thing that our president brought into us about 10 years ago that I don't think we had when we were more of like a production-based shop, but I think you absolutely need when you're going to move into a retainer-based uh, operation where you have got to constantly be servicing these clients. And when you're working together 365 days a year with the client, it's not always all roses and it doesn't always have to be. And that's okay. That's okay. You just have to be honest about those things and we have to have those conversations so we can make things better if they need to be or continuing to make things great when they are great. So... We don't like to just rest on things being okay. That expansion of capability and never losing the technical core of who we were and building on top of it has been a big enabler for Glow in our growth. Mike, are you able to point to any particular clients that, that you've had in experiences with that, that, that you'd like to point to about the unique successes that they had in their work with Glow? I'm really curious if there's like something really exciting you did with someone that you, you often like to refer to. So, you know, um, so last year or the year before, I'll cite two. One, um, we worked with uh, Turner and I believe it was TBS. And we were working on a new show from Olin Rogers called Final Space. Okay. We were brought on to develop their social campaign and their social content for it. In the conversation of the social campaign and the social content, the tactical development started to unfold. Some of those 
ideas had legs across other disciplines beyond social. Hmm. So we were able to proactively reach out and bring on the display media campaign, which used kind of an idea from a social tactic to deliver the display media. We also had a concept in there about doing a Facebook Live. But because the show is an animated show, it was going to be a bit of a different Facebook Live. And at that time, it was pretty new. Adobe Animator just came out and had a product that allowed us to basically we could tell a story through that character in a live environment. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we partnered with Adobe. And we set up a Facebook Live broadcast. Which, because for Adobe, this was a great demo for them. Oh, fantastic demo for them. And it's a great piece. I mean, it's a great software, what they had. And we, we, we partnered with them after seeing their product. We brought in Olin Rogers, the mm -hmm. creator, and who happens to be the voice of Gary. We brought him into our studio. We set up and developed our own tech on top of some of the Facebook Live stuff to make sure that we could engage directly with the users and made sure that we had a good dialogue going with them. And we had a concept where in the show, Gary was in space forever to, 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 to pass time. He would play Go Fish. So we had the fans get to play Go Fish with, with this animated Gary as voiced by Olin in real time. That's amazing. In a Facebook Live. Wow. So we use character animator to deliver all the animations. But then yeah. we put our code on top of that to be able to execute the game. And now what you had was Olin in our studio watching fans play against this. And he could reference you directly. Mark, are you crazy? You want to take that card or not? Like, you know, and, and I'm sure the fans like... Yeah, jaw, was, jaw drop. I it mean, was fantastic. By the way, fans, not followers. Well, that's a perfect example of fans, not followers. So we had engagement through the roof. We had um, a extremely happy client. We had a whole new outlook on Facebook Live, knowing that we could write code on top of it to deliver cool experiences and then understanding working with another vendor like Adobe, what that experience could be like. And I think all together, I mean, there's just a perfect example of where, and then we sent a crew out to Comic-Con to help with the social amplification during and planning during Comic-Con when Final Space was there. So what you had from Glow was essentially four or five different disciplines or departments working, different departments working against this one campaign where you see massive efficiencies across all. You see the ability to share information and knowledge. We actually are able to keep different groups on the client side tight in their communications because we have one central point of communication coming out of a glow that can speak to all of them versus the client talking to multiple agencies for multiple things. So I think that was a great example of where the power of Glow's capability can provide a massive value to a client yeah. across the board in yeah. many different ways, not just coming out with a great execution, but also the workflow to get there and the efficiencies that you get from getting there, which is always key in today's environment, efficiency, efficiency, yeah. efficiency. Yeah. And we just did very much the same thing with Showtime and the L Word. We worked with them on the L Word campaign. We developed that campaign, started out as we were doing the social. Yeah. We wound up getting the display media campaign. Yeah. Some of our video ideas and tactics for social married themselves to out of home. So we did all of their out of home, digital out of home on those things. And then in the process of all of this, we built them an AR filter for it and got the talent 
to actually blast out one or two of these. And we had about 2.2 million organic impressions of this thing because not only do we know what the filter was kind of like, you're talking about an effect that was so hot. It was like the, mm-hmm. the what Disney character were you type of thing, which everybody's doing right now. Yeah. It just became a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. We jumped right in when it was hot on it and saw the numbers pop. So when you have 2 million plus organic engagements against something, you know that there's legs there and you know that people want to do these things. No question. We need to be thinking like that more. And some of that is, you know, some of this is getting people out of their comfort zone. And some of these is, you know, people needing to understand that the next thing is here at scale now. Yeah. And we need to start to learn how to tame this beast because the people early to the game doing it now are going to be kind of like Snap. Snap is a world ahead of Instagram on these things right now because they've been doing it for so long. If you take that platform and you look at the other platforms that are playing a bit of catch up, they actually have more people, but they're playing a bit of catch up. You still kind of see it's a microcosm of what's going to happen with brands who are not leaning forward right now and saying, how do I get involved in this? Gotcha. And those are the conversations that, you know, for me, I'm excited about being part of the AR side at Glow and the interactive side at Glow, because all of our social strategists are thinking about this. All of our creative directors and art directors are thinking about this. All of our devs have this on their mind. So to know that it's in the collective conscience of the agency right now is, again, just another thing where we're not just this AR interactive agency. It's being woven into strategic plans against brands and campaigns that's the way it should be done. These aren't stunts. These yeah. are tactics now. They used to be stunts yeah. when you had to spend all that money on a, on an app. This right. isn't a stunt. No. Now. You can make you it do. a hell of a stunt, but I don't think you should look at it as a stunt. Do you want to be where people are is really what it is. You, that's where it changes from stunt to what you do. Yep. Because that is where people are. Absolutely. Black mirrors in their hands. Mm-hmm. Before we conclude this segment and get into Mike as a human, uh, which we did a little bit with the pickles, I guess, but is um, let's talk coronavirus for a second. Mm -hmm. Whatever someone listening may think about whether there's hysteria that's justified or is the media making too much of this? Is this an outright, you know, emergency? Regardless, it is impacting the decision making that's going on with businesses, with brands. Uh, it's impacting agencies, changing budgets to whatever degree an agency like Glow is being affected now. Or if you c- can, you comment at all about how this is changing right now in real time the way people are thinking about content, or how it may your the signals you're getting about the opportunities that are transforming or going away because of. Um, you know, canceled events. Uh, you know, you mentioned part of what you do is live events. And, you know, I imagine that's a concern. How is coronavirus already at this point, if at all, affecting your business and that of your clients? Well, I mean, you see South by Southwest is no more this year. They're talking about doing it virtually, but who knows? Yeah. You know, um, there's... They just laid off a third of their people, too. There's conversation about the AWE conference in the UK, which is a big AR conference right. over there. Kind of, they're still on, but they're not sure. I think Facebook shut down F8. So justified or not, it's a real thing. And I think as a company, you have a responsibility to take care of your employees, whether you personally believe it or not. That's not what you're being asked to do here. You're being right. asked to take in the information that's available to you and then 
distribute that accordingly to your clients and your staff. Totally agree. So for us, uh, internally, we have really over-communicated on this. I think probably this week more so than before this week, we've really been on this. And toward the end of last week, we really started honing in on what to do and how we were going to handle this. And I think, you know, the team at Glow has been fantastic in communicating what we're watching, what we're planning for. We sent out a survey internally to make sure that if we needed to go remote, what were the potential challenges with that? So we're ahead of that curve. So we've been planning against those now. We do have one or two high risk people in the office that, you know, we are worried about. So we want to make sure that, you know, they're not put in jeopardy either. We have let our clients know and understand that we are working, but we will not be in New York. We are typically, we've, we've grounded domestic and international business travel for the team. Right. You know, some people still have personal travel, which we're not going to get in the way of their personal travel. But I would hope that, you know, and we've also opened up the door on the backside. That if you are going to travel personally, when you come back, we are fine with you taking a week or two to, to make work sure from home clear. just to make sure that you're clear. Well, that's an interesting approach I hadn't heard about. This. Yeah. So, I mean, we can't tell you you have to stay home, but, you know, we are fortunate in our line of work that, you know, we can often work from home. I feel personally as a creative, we lose a little dynamic of what we look for in what we do with that. And I'm grateful for you being here in person. I, I, I'll never I, miss a chance to talk about AR. I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful. I understand what you're talking about. I, I don't know if our conversation would have the same energy if this was done remotely, maybe, but there's a different thing about sitting here. Yeah. Are you seeing different kinds of decisions already being made uh, by whether it be by clients or, or the creative itself in anticipation of where this is headed or what's happening? At the moment right now, to my knowledge going on with our clients, I don't know anything that has changed drastically from our need to work mm-hmm. for the clients mm-hmm. at the moment. I think most of this has wrapped itself in the interpersonal side, you know, like mm-hmm. removing yourself from travel, not doing any unnecessary travel, you know, not going to conferences, not going to shows, just removing yourself from places that were business focused, where there's going to be a ton of people where that yeah. chance is really there for you to pick something up. It's Got really, it. that's, that's really where we've kind okay. of been on it. As far as content, you know, I've seen a lot of people like just... <laughs> Make it about me and AR for a second. I've seen a lot of people kind of pissed off at, you know, there's a lot of these filters going around. There are these, all these effects that people have just started making that are going around that are, you know, kind of kitschy and, and they think they're fun and cute and people are rightly so. I mean, again, that's part of content. People take it their own way. Some people think it's funny and cool and whatever. And other people think it's really offensive. Related to coronavirus? Related to coronavirus. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I just read an article, was it yesterday, where, you know, there were a bunch of these AR effects that kind of flooded out there with masks and things on and, you know, are you infected or not? And, you know, there are a lot of people who have cause to be worried about it physically. President of our company has a son who's high risk, got a lung problem. I mean, these are real people that I'm close to who have real issues. I don't make light of this, you know, and I have clients who are the same way. So I think as, you know, as, as leaders in business, it's incumbent upon us to inform our clients and protect our staff. 
And whatever that means to an individual company is going to mean its own thing. To us, it means be smart, take care of yourself, get ourselves prepped and prepared and make sure that we've covered every base. So should we need to shut out the lights and all work from home, we've got all things in place that business just continues to run seamlessly. And that's kind of the beauty of the connected office today. You know, as well, uh, if if I may be so bold, like an army, each troop of the army is a or you know an armed force unit is uh is themselves their own army they are capable of fighting themselves and doing what they have to do but it, but also they are a member of a larger group that together has a formidable impact mm-hmm. the business community is made up of many business people and then many businesses if each one does its own safety check the right thing to do, as well as one could say their patriotic duty as a member of the larger army of the business community. Together as a business community, we have a better chance of succeeding and surviving through whatever this becomes or doesn't become. So it's yeah. dangerous. It, it depends on who you are too. You yeah. know, I mean, you look at a Chipotle, they, they, they were in a lot of trouble after they had one little E. coli scare at one place, you know, like oh, it became yeah. a big deal. Of course. You know, there are companies who have massive conferences that they're canceling and forfeiting millions of dollars on I know. because it's the right thing to do given the climate today. You don't want to put it. The last thing you need is, you know, half your company going down because they're sick. You lose, you lose your company. You know, Google is, Almost the entire company is remote, and there are big banks that are uh, creating two shifts of employees or multiple shifts of employees so that not everyone's – it's pretty extraordinary the yeah. steps that organizations are taking that, that they're realizing that – I'll be honest, we're a small company, and, and you know, if if uh, if too many of our if our principal staff went down, we, we can't function. Yep. Glad to see that your company is uh, doing its best to be safe and, and keeping an eye on how you can respond to your clients. Uh, you are truly an interactive company, both in the work you do with content and as an organization. I'd like to close with this. As a human being, even as early as childhood, what's the first memory that you have of a piece of content that made an impact on you? I'll tell you exactly what it was. I love it. It was the Indian canoeing out of the river in New York City in the 70s, only to see all this trash spread know, all over exactly. the street yep. and getting this big, big tear, tear down his face. I'm actually starting to tear up a little oh. bit because as a kid, that hit me so hard. Wow. Because, I mean, all we had was TV right, when I was a kid, right, right, right? right? I mean, like, then Atari came along. But that commercial was one of the first things that I remember seeing that had, like, a, a real message without one word in yeah. it that as a young I couldn't have been seven, eight years old at that time. I got it right away and it, and it hit me. So it's one of those old things that, and now I see it come up online every now and then, and it just kind of like passes through. And so it's a, it's a, it's a powerful thing that literally still stands today. Wow. Yeah. Oh, sure. You could play that same commercial right now. It would have the same impact, maybe more. So, I mean, you know, it's that to me was one of, you know, that's something that I always go back to when I think about that. But are you very ecologically oriented? You know, I believe that I believe in climate change. I believe that we as humans have an impact on our environment and a responsibility to our environment. And I believe that we could be doing a lot 
better than we are. And I believe that the data supports everything I just said. How can people connect with you directly if you'd like and certainly with Glow? You can email me, Mike, at weareglow is my email. You can reach out to us or check out our site, weareglow.com. Get to us through the contact page or hit info. We definitely get back to you anywhere there. All right, Mike Molnar, the managing partner for Glow. Thank you very much for a, an energetic, a really, really interesting conversation and most importantly, for the pickles and poppers. Um, I really appreciate it. It was great for you to come in this morning. I really appreciate it. It was great to meet you, too. Thanks for having me, Mark. It was great to meet you, too. That's it for this episode of Content Is Your Business. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful and safe well week. Until next time, I'm Mark Rico. Bye-bye. This has been Content Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening.